Audacious Compassion, Episode 16. I don't even have cutlery. Toothpaste, lemonade, polka dots and stripes. You're a dark night, and I'm the day. We're a wreck, and that's Hello, and welcome to Audacious Compassion, a podcast where we explore how to find compassion in the most difficult places in daily life. I'm Melissa. I'm Gregory. And today we'll be talking about understanding how people in a community choose either to be disruptive or considerate. So, Gregory, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I've had a relatively uneventful month. I That's probably a good thing. Shaved my chin. Yes, you don't have facial hair anymore. Yeah, I uh, got a new keyboard that's very clicky and clacky. Yes. Um, but those are sort of the most dramatic events, I think, that have, that have happened recently. Sounds good to me. Um, but uh, the other week, I went to a sort of trans community support group thing mm. um, that's, that's here in Charlotte. Um, and that was an interesting experience. I bet. It's got to have been eclectic, yes? Yeah, and I mean, I haven't been around, like, queer community groups for a while. Like, a couple of years, or like... Yeah, like, yeah. I, I've, you know, been around a lot of queer people at conventions, mm-hmm. and at times have been involved in communities with a lot of queer folk, but now it's kind of like my immediate friend group, mm-hmm. who are pretty darn queer, but yeah. like, not folks that are any... F- stepped away from that yeah and this was interesting especially because it was it's specifically trans focused Mm -hmm. so transgender people um genderqueer people are the are the intended audience of this it's gotta be nice right like yeah it sounds like it's rare it's cool yeah because (laughs) you don't like it's just relatively rare to see a bunch of trans people in the same place because just statistically they're we're, we're rare enough and I mean, they're, they they also do some support for like family members and partners and so on. Yeah. But like most of the people there, there were you know twenty trans people there, something yeah. like that, um, which was cool. Uh, but one of the things that that stuck out to me was that so I, I'm new to this group. This was my first time attending, and there are weird power dynamics there. Like like what. When you're sitting and having a group discussion, there's this concept of taking space and making space, mm-hmm. where it's like, if you're someone who usually talks a lot, you should keep in that in mind and make sure to leave space for other people to, to speak. And if you're someone who usually has trouble speaking, you should try and kind of make space for yourself and, and speak mm-hmm. up. Take space, I suppose. Yes. Yep. And and kind of everyone is responsible for helping that happen. Mm-hmm. But usually, that's <laughs> happening in the context of often cisgender gender relations. Right. So, like, there's certainly various aspects of power that you're considering there. But one of the big things is, usually socially, men talk a lot and women get talked over. Right. And so a lot of that make space, take space stuff is, like, give space for marginalized people femme people mm-hmm. whatever oh but, yeah right oh, yeah so now we're in a trans group and especially like i was you know hanging out with a bunch of genderqueer people mm-hmm. and so you've got like all right so do the women take space because um... they're women or do the are are we you know dealing with like 
people who are who are learning to function in their gender and what about folks who you know <laughs> if you're assigned female at birth and gender queer you know an agender you're not you don't have one like what what you know i was one of the more femme looking people in the gender queer group but i also know that i talk a lot yeah and i also had facial hair at the time which means that like i had a very strong masculine flag even though mm. there were a bunch of other people around who were trying to look extra masculine right which i wasn't particularly trying to do is this whole complicated like yeah the process in my head was was bigger and and i don't i the intersectionality of all of these things yeah yeah and and that was that's interesting especially did it work out okay yeah i mean i i think so but but you know there were definitely people especially in the larger group who you know there's this person who's really loud Mm -hmm. and are they taking space for themselves and in, in to to kind of compensate for their lack of power? Yeah. Or are should they be dialing it down because they're not letting other people talk? Right. And there were age things and and like generational divides. Yeah, and, like yeah. it made me think about how complicated that stuff is in every situation and mm-hmm. how simple we think it is. <laughs> right? How, how, it, yeah, when, when you go to a convention and you're sitting at a convention, it often feels, or a conference, I suppose, it's made simplistic. At this mm-hmm. point in 2016, 2017, people kind of say, all right, and when we have this discussion, make sure you remember to take space, make space. Mm-hmm. And then they move on. Yeah. And it's like, ah, uh, but we have... At the very least, gender and racial right. intersectionality here, probably also queerness, like the idea of how queer are you and how marginalized a queer are you. And yeah. it yeah, it's yeah. not how how loud should a black lesbian be in comparison to a shy white man. Right. Like Yes. Yeah. And white straight man. Yep. Like how how does that what about what if the woman is straight? What if like, it's a what if it's a conference for black people, right? Yeah. Like you know, yep. like I don't know. It just it gets it is it is complicated. And I think the next time I'm at an event like that, I'll try to encourage more complexity in those discussions. Like you'll raise your hand at the it, when they say take space, make space and be like Can you offer some nuance on that for this crowd? Seems sure. like a fair thing to, to yeah. ask for. So so how have you been lately? Pretty good. I am two days shy of the six weeks since surgery. It's my hysterectomy, uh, so that's really exciting because it means I, assuming everything checks out fine, which it should, um, it means I can do things like exercise again and carry yeah. groceries. <laughs> yeah, you haven't been able to carry anything larger than five pounds. Five pounds, like go pick up, I don't know, like a quart of milk, right? Two yeah. you. You pick up two quarts of milk. That's the that's what I've been limited to for the yep. last six weeks. So I'm excited for that. It also means I get to go back in the office because I can actually pick up my laptop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've had to move your laptop from like a table to a desk for you. Right, which for, sounds for absurd, but those physical restrict. I mean, this last week has been really easy, but like th- those physical restrictions were real. Like yeah. for the first five weeks, if I wasn't careful just cleaning up stuff off the floor or whatever i would be in agony so not agony towards the end but just really uncomfortable a lot of pain still some swelling so Mm. yeah i i scoffed at five pounds initially but uh it's it's there um but anyway so lately i've been playing endless space 2 which i 
pretty sure I've talked about before. Um, but I've been playing with uh, someone who's newer to the game. Mm-hmm. And Endless Space 2 is a turn-based space game where you are playing as a as some sort of alien or space faction trying to colonize and take over the galaxy. Um, and each person is playing a different faction. If, you could, if you've played Civilization or, or any of those sorts of games, it's, it's similar. Yeah, it's um, real complicated. It's very complicated. Each race has its own sort of um, game systems within it, like its own quests, its own clear goals, things like that. this group can control time, this group has special abilities with commerce, etc. Right. And so it's a complex game, and as with many things I'm learning, it's not as fun to start with someone who hasn't played much. Yeah. So if I buy a game, I play it for 15 hours, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to play with other people. And then I'm like, hey, my friends, let's play. And they've maybe gotten through the tutorial, maybe not. The first time you sit in a turn-based game waiting on someone else to finish their turn. Oh, yeah. And they don't know what they're doing. The first time is fine. (laughs) Right. The 150th turn (laughs) uh, feels real painful. And and I find that, like, while in the abstract, if someone is like, I want to play a game this way, I'm like, cool, go do it. I'm a person who puts cheats in their game. Play a game how you want. Customize your experience. I used to take StarCraft put in cheats that would unlock as many supply points or whatever they're called. Let me just build stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would play, I would set up a big multiplayer map. I'd have no other opponents <laughs> and I would just try and build as much as I could, which Starcraft is not good for that. Um, but it was fun. And that's totally a valid way to play. Mm-hmm. And yet when I'm in these circumstances, and this has happened with Overwatch where I've played with people who didn't know what the ults were, didn't really know what an ult was. And like, mm-hmm. And then you end up in this match, and you're like, go, 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 we gotta go. And they're like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll just fly over here, it's mercy, right? And mm-hmm. and it's so frustrating, and I want to, like, I don't want to, like, I really value the, the, the little gaming community of people who are willing to totally take that step and mm-hmm. spend that time with yeah. me and do these things. It, maybe it's just impatience, I don't know. I struggle with, why aren't we on the same page as to the strategy of this, and why aren't we... Yeah. It's uh-huh. like you can customize your experience, but you sh- if you're part of a group, you should customize the experience of the group. Right. And I guess that's part of that is on me for not talking about that ahead of time. But I'm also afraid of scaring away people. Because if I'm like, let's talk about how we're going to play the game. They're like, well, psh, I don't have time for this. I have a life yeah. and job. I'm like, oh, no, please come play with me. Often I'll like <laughs> try to make the other person the star and like push yes. them along. Yes. And that's worked pretty well but then again i'm usually like if i'm in that position it's usually kind of me showing you a game and you're such a quick study that that's a different by and large sometimes Sometimes, yes um any any problems that you demonstrate you're going to demonstrate after 50 hours too like throwing molotov cocktails at my feet and left for dead you said problem i don't understand (laughs) so that that's you know that's something i i think about and struggle with but i do really appreciate that my friends are willing to play hard-ass weird-ass video games with me yeah so our prompt this month is from an anonymous sender thank you it says dear y'all i'm a teacher struggling a bit with empathy for my students some situations are fairly minor for example i strongly dislike a student who constantly comes late to class and then takes up time asking questions that are covered in the part of class she missed. 
It's difficult for me to get past the strong dislike I have. So far, I have not snapped at her, but I find her behavior increasingly frustrating and unchanged. On the other hand, what about students who are racist, sexist, anti-gay, or otherwise seriously problematic? Having empathy for students like that is challenging for me. I realize these are very different concerns, but on the other hand, they're alike because I would deal with these situations very differently if they weren't my students. How can I deal with students who I strongly dislike? So there are kind of two questions in here. There's how do I empathize? How do I understand? And there's how do I deal with it? What do I do? Yep. Um, And I think that maybe from both cases, these are actually not too too different yeah like I, I think there's, people who are yeah. hateful and people who are disruptive right. in other ways are kind of the same thing from yeah. a community standpoint right what's really happening here is not necessarily these five different kinds of things right a disruptive person a racist person a sexist person right it's I have these standards I want met, and these people are not meeting them, Mm -hmm. which is exactly the same thing. Like, think about when you talk to your family, perhaps, and they say, oh, well, aunt so-and-so is always doing this. You're like, well, that's totally fine. They're like, no, it's totally rude for her to be doing this. That Mm -hmm. is a matter of different standards, right? Yeah. And this is is in my classroom, I expect tardiness and a certain behavior, and it should be common sense that someone isn't, that someone not do that. Yeah. And, and like, for the, for the, Tateful stuff. You you would hope that your students wouldn't be racist, <laughs> but really the problem here is that you can tell that your students are racist, <laughs> right. right? Like if yes. they were secretly racist, you'd have a different problem. The problem is that you've picked up on it, mm-hmm. which means that they're kind of putting out this this atmosphere that is bad for everyone, everyone. and especially the people that they're being bigoted against. Right. So it's sort of it's yeah. So it's a matter of community standards and. This suggests to me that those are not in consensus. Like, not all students agree that racism is not okay in this in this yeah, space. Yeah, <laughs> so so could be different standards, or or they forget. Like children, I don't know, children. Yeah, if if they're children, um, or even you know, or, young yeah, adult. Like, fair enough. People, yeah, people get more experience as they get older, right? right? Yeah. Like. You can't tell by how old someone is how much experience they'll have, right. but they probably have more than they did 10 years before. This is true. You can clearly set standards as a an authority figure. As a teacher, you can be like, here are the standards I want to go by. Mm-hmm. In order to progress in this class, you have to follow these standards. Yep. But there's understanding intellectually those standards, and then there's actually like walking that line. Mm-hmm. And then there's... I mean, what if you don't recognize that what you're doing yeah. is a breach of that? So there's definitely a make sure that you've communicated this right. Yes. Because if you haven't, you know, like if, if someone doesn't understand that they shouldn't be coming late and asking questions that have probably been covered, that's a thing you can kind of cover yeah. and pull them aside or something. It's like that's a hard discussion, but that's kind of the sort of discussion you have to have all the time as a teacher, right? It's fatiguing, but you yeah. you hope to perhaps only have to revisit the, I don't know, let's call them a rules list, once or twice after the initial yeah. few sessions. I don't know. But but assuming that someone kind of intellectually knows, okay, yes, I shouldn't be taking up too much time or I shouldn't be saying racist things in class. Mm-hmm. Why, on the empathy side, why did they do it anyway? Yeah. You would think in 27 I wouldn't still hold this opinion after everything. Thing that's going on i still think there are people who don't realize that the words falling out of their mouth are awful i think okay. yeah, yes there are neo-nazis and there are 
white supremacists, but I, I hear people make remarks and I'm like, that's racist. And they go, but that's my experience. And it doesn't even register. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm leaving now, right? Yeah, some of those are things that like, if they thought about it, mm. they could have figured it out. Mm. And some of those are things where... <laughs> I, that is where my cynicism sits. I don't think that's true. I've, when pushed, they have they have held to it being... In, sure. Yeah, know, and that, so. that it commonly happens, right. at least. So, so there's not knowing. There's... Today, I don't care. Sure. I'm late. Something's wrong. I'm late. Like, I had a bad yeah. morning or I ran out of spoons or whatever. Uh, spoon metaphor, not physical spoons. Um, <laughs> ran out of energy. Ran out of energy. And so I'm late. And so I don't have any energy left for your BS of being polite in class. Yeah. If Oops. I don't even have cutlery, then <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I'm sure we've explained the spoon theory before. So is that an education thing? Can you can you educate someone to care? Can you educate someone in such a way as to convince them that compassion matters, that respect for the community matters? Well, I think if someone is rejecting compassion outright, that's probably another episode that we can talk about. Mm. But people generally are like, yes, you shouldn't be mean to people. It's just a question of who counts as people, right. what counts as mean. Yeah. And so there's a certain education component of just like, you don't seem to think that's cruel or disruptive, mm-hmm. but here's why it is. Like, here's how it feels to hear that. Or, yeah. you know, here's the history that you don't know about that word or whatever. Right. And in a classroom setting, I think what's the practical issue is disruption. Yes. Like, is this interfering with other people's ability to learn? And... Is it teaching the community what it should be teaching? Yeah. You don't want unintentional recruitment happening in your classroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have a student coming in late. That's bad enough. Perpetually late student, that is a small disruption anyway. Mm-hmm. And then disrupting the learning of other students by changing the flow of class significantly. That's probably annoying the other students. Mm-hmm. Or saying, well, teacher so-and-so doesn't care, doesn't actually yeah. enact consequences for these things. Yeah, so. probably those other students are going not only, why is this student wasting our time, but also, why is this teacher is wasting our time by mm-hmm. answering these questions? Yep. In addition to just the topic you're teaching, Mm -hmm. there's sort of two meta things you're teaching as a teacher, which is both just like, let me teach you values, let me teach you how to learn, how to behave. Mm -hmm. And then there's also kind of like, let me provide the context, sort of the social context for what you're learning. Right. Like learning history without learning how it affects people today Mm -hmm. is pointless. It's just memorizing dates. Right. Well, you can hopefully get that context later, but yes. Right, yes, yeah. I mean, if you're teaching even like computer science, right, programming mm-hmm. without talking about what what is a, a responsible computer programmer, that's how you end up with surgical equipment that <laughs> has a math error and mm-hmm. hurts someone. Or hospital software that no one who works at a hospital knows how to use. Yep. <laughs> Speaking from personal Speaking. experience, are we? <laughs> yep. That's a yes. You are definitely teaching those two things also. So you, you want to you want to teach students that consent is important, mm-hmm. and yet to stop all of these disruptions, mm-hmm. <laughs> you must remove agency 
Yeah. From those students. Maybe age is not that You have word. to say, you are not allowed to say, no, I will ask these questions. Right. You have to behave a certain way. Or and not behave in these three ways. Right. Yeah. I don't know. That classroom autocracy mm-hmm. thing is tricky. There are certainly models that allow for other things, but they might not be supported by your institution. You might not be good at them. Mm-hmm. They all tend to be harder, I think, at least for people in our society, you know. Let's sit around and everyone have suggestions and we'll put it up on a on a big piece of paper on the wall like brainstorming. Those those <laughs> processes are are we're not as used to them. Right. And they're also maybe not as productive if what you really want to do is explain the structure of Chaucer. <laughs> like if your goal for the day is they should understand this this and this then the other two things yeah. you're teaching feel extra feel like a big burden. Yeah. And you kind of have that responsibility to do that, right? The other yeah. students are expecting you to put your foot down in mm-hmm. some way. Yep, and to deliver. And as much as a school's administration does care about the culture of the classrooms of the school that they are in, they are also mostly answerable for the goals being met regarding yeah. knowledge. So Whether it's, did you actually earn a diploma mm-hmm. or... Are you going to pass your GE exam or are you going to be able to get into college or can you tell your ABCs? Mm. Like all of these are things that you kind of have to satisfy or or have have set up as goals that you have to satisfy. That raises a couple of questions. So if you're in a situation where you've got some disruption, and to be fair, depending on the age group of these students, these probably aren't the worst I mean, assuming no one's shouting racial slurs and that we're talking perhaps about some more subtle racism. I don't see the word fight happen in this question. Right. I don't see yeah, knives. It, it doesn't sound like people are punching each other. It doesn't even sound like people are getting into arguments. Right. So it is one solution for said teacher to adapt their standards to the culture of the class. Mm-hmm. To say the standard lies here instead of where I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. When I started this teaching this class. Like, I'm observing that we're doing things differently. Right. Every class is different, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, every, I think teachers probably hope that that means, oh, I have two outspoken people in this class instead of one. Mm-hmm. But it's, maybe that's it could, Samantha's going to be late, right? Yeah. <laughs> you tamp down on some of those consequences, but not set up a full autocracy. So that's sort of a... Bringing up the issue vocally, mm-hmm. taking time out of class mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. say... Once Samantha shows up. <laughs> sure, yeah. Probably don't do it at the beginning of class. And say, hey, we, you know, what do we want to do about this? Yeah. It's, you're going to single that person out. I, I don't know that you can avoid doing so. <sighs> yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about this, the cultural standards of your class... You can't do that ad hoc or whack-a-mole in the sense of like, so if the, if the question is one of bigotry and it's a concern with multiple students, you can try and address it with each individual person. Mm-hmm. That is certainly, that is a valid way to go. If you want to communicate to your class. If you want to shift those community standards. Right. And, t- and tell them that this matters to you. Like, it matters that Samantha is late every day, and that is something I want that mm. I'm working on. Then you do have, unfortunately, put her on the spot. Yeah. Just as you can kind of understand that someone 
maybe isn't thinking through what is right and wrong in this situation or doesn't have the energy today to decide to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. You can also explain where you're coming from. Like, I think it's a lot easier to say, you know, if someone asks you a question about something you already covered, you can say, I covered that earlier. I want to make sure that everyone gets a chance to get to the end of this material. So mm-hmm. if you want to check in with one of the other students or something like that, you can you can say that yeah. instead of, you missed it. We're moving on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about why it matters. Just and, real briefly. And see, yes, that's what I was going to say is that sometimes it'd be simpler just to give the damn answer again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It would. I know. Teach a person to fish and all but, that. Yeah. And, and, and also that's like a short term versus long term thing, right? Right. Like if hopefully mm. explaining your reasons briefly will encourage this person to change their behavior even a little bit later on, or at least remember it. Or give lengthy explanations. <laughs> See, I guess I'm the disruptive one. Just, just you know, explain it in exacting detail until the other students decide to deal with the problem themselves out behind the classroom building. That'll discourage them. I mean, that's a community standard you could set. But, I mean, I, I guess that's that's a good point, though, right? Think about what standards you're creating with how you answer this. Right. Because if you are always answering, you are saying... The way we do things here, it's okay for you to not show up and just ask again later. Right. Okay, so what if it's not a matter of the student not knowing or not realizing? What if they are being vindictive? What if they're saying, I've got this social justice warrior teacher and I don't believe in that. I'm going to slip in a racist comment every week. I don't know. I mean, so that's that's a circumstance in which the person has a... A vendetta against you <laughs> and like I, I, it feels like that becomes a disciplinary issue or something like that's that's handled in a different way because you, I don't know that you can negotiate and deal with someone who's got it in for you right because they're just going to want to hurt you more I think <laughs> the personal issue between you and the student is the thing there I think it's I think it's crucial that they are willing to hurt their peers to get back at you. Hmm. They're saying I'm in a class of, honestly, 20 students, and I'm willing to mess up the learning of these 19 other people in order to stick it to Professor So-and-so. And that, that is, that's, that's awful, right? Like, yeah. So it still is community standard. Being so nice to each they're other. They're both making the decision to be vindictive against you mm-hmm. and making the decision to do it in this group like right. they're not putting a thumbtack on your chair right they're they're not coming to office hours and being a jerk right they're not spreading rumors about you probably right like there are a whole lot of ways to be vindictive about someone in an enclosed environment and they are choosing to do it in class i think we all can kind of understand the drive to cause a problem for a person you don't like oh sure <laughs> and when you kind of get in that mode, that anger mode, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't care about right. other things. So maybe one way to deal with that, that kind of maybe handles both, is a one-on-one discussion that says, okay, you don't like me. You've got, well, assuming you can suss out that that is right. Why, also perhaps in that one-on-one. And you say, let's make a deal. 
I get you don't like me. I get you don't like the standards of this class. Be mad after class. Behave this way in class. Yeah, I mean... Take it to my administrator if it, like... Yeah, kind of give them two out, like... Yeah. Either we don't do, handle this stuff in class, mm-hmm. or we're going to need to escalate this. Yeah. You can, like, when you go to work and you work with someone you don't like... You don't put thumbtacks in her chair, right? You, right? you do your job, and you go home, and you complain to your partners about it. And if, you, if it becomes a situation at work where mm-hmm. someone's taking jabs at you, that becomes an HR thing or a, right. or a thing for your, for your manager. or Right. And then there's also still the component of talk to the class at whole about reminding them these are the community standards. I will not allow in class this bigotry and... Yep. these questions Oof, yeah hopefully tough. hopefully we're just talking about not understanding the standards or not understanding them well enough to follow them mm-hmm. but it it could be a real rough yeah run down that clock it's just before thanksgiving as of recording <laughs> <laughs> you got one more month or so this semester with these students <laughs> yeah fingers crossed it's not as bad as it might be yes yes so what have you been inspired by lately I have been inspired by the Friends at the Table group. Uh, Friends at the Table is a uh, actual play podcast. It's folks doing a role-playing game while being recorded. Right. I feel like this is probably our 17th time out of 14 episodes mentioning Austin Walker, but... Mm-hmm. He is the GM of this of this, of this the game, game master, the one that sort of is the organizer and keeps the game running. Right, primary plot writer, things like that. Um, and this is a really aggressively scheduled podcast. They release an episode every week. I can tell they don't record as often. They're kind mm-hmm. of slicing and dicing. They publish every week. They have now a Patreon, so they're producing extra content mm-hmm. for that. Um, and long... each, each episode might be an hour and a half? Mm-hmm. And then, unless it's a finale, in which case it can right. go on for a while. And then their, their sort of Patreon stuff can run three or four hours because they're doing one game and a whole session mm-hmm. of, a, of a one-shot. They produce their own music that they sell separately, and like, and that makes it all sound very commercial, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels very... The, the name Friends at the Table right. works. Um, and, you know, they've slowly increased their production values and so on yeah, and so forth. Yeah, the, the early episodes are pretty rough in yeah. the audio yeah, I, I started it season two for that reason. Uh, but they have seasons, right? Like they've switched yeah. systems, they've switched uh, settings, they've done all sorts of cool things. And I, what inspires me about them is just their hustle. Like, I've been listening to this podcast for a while, and I just recently caught up on the most recent probably five or six episodes, which is why they come to mind. I was like, I really like, I've always really liked their music. Mm-hmm. And they always have the blurb at the end of, you know, where can you find this? And... and Jack DeKeed on Bandcamp or SoundCloud or whatever. Yeah. And I go and I look and I'm like, he's essentially released an album of music for each season of this show and has been composing, you know, hardcore thematic things that when I hear the song and I have a, I have a terrible memory for plots and role playing mm-hmm. games. As soon as I hear the song, I go, oh, I remember that. I remember that part. Yeah. It shows a certain kind of dedication to this thing that you're all doing together. Yep. And one of the recent long episodes that they did, they got, you know, they picked their topic and their setting about two hours before recording. And like, dude went off and composed a new song for it. Like, right. And like, just this hustle of all of them to learn these systems, to do this thing, to record so often, the consistency, everything. And I found it inspiring. Like, we're near the tail end of developing a game. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I've got granny score colors I'm doing some technical rewrite stuff on. I've got these games I'm learning. Like, I don't know. There's just like, it, it helps give me energy and remind me that like, yeah, I can keep doing five or six things as long as I also take care of myself. You know, it's, it's fun. Yeah. So what's been inspiring you? Well, uh, last week, I, you know how sometimes you watch a thing that maybe you'd seen a few episodes of before and you find yourself kind of devouring a lot of it yes you know like oh, i'm not doing anything i'll put that on mm-hmm. and and it kind of becomes a, a background thing for a while i've been watching a decent amount of penn and teller's fool us is this a magic? it's a it's a reality talent show sort of thing oh no um so i've got some concerns about how penn and teller do some <laughs> things but i also think that they are very very good magicians and i and i like a lot of their style in other ways but the show is magicians stage magicians come on and do an act in front of an audience and in front of penn and teller who are some of the best magic minds in mm-hmm. in in the business and at the end, Penn and Teller will try and figure out how they did the trick. Ah. And usually they'll kind of talk in code. So they'll be like, if Teller and I wanted to do this trick and had all your equipment and knew how to do it, could we pull it off? And then like the other magician will be like, thank you for your time. What? Or, or they'll what? be like, I noticed you had to look something up in the phone book. Is that phone book from, from where you live or did you get it here? Like, would any phone book work? What? Or, or like you know, oh, like they'll said, mention Luke Skywalker as an attempt to imply something with the word force. Like they'll use words in other contexts that mean things in in magic terms. So that's interesting. But but what's <laughs> that, interesting? That would be so frustrating for me. I just want to know how magic tricks work. Google Google some things. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can I can walk you through it. Okay. Um, but one of the really interesting things about it is. There are sort of standard templates for magic tricks, right? Mm-hmm. There are some magic tricks that, like, a lot of people do. There's just a known method of doing it. And you put your own twist on it or whatever. And there's also the case where, I think this is true in a lot of crafts or, or occupations or whatever, where the things that look easy might be hard and the things that look hard might be easy. Mm-hmm. And so these these people that come on the show are both trying to put on a good show for the audience who are going to be lay people mm-hmm. and trick Penn and Teller and probably also give them a good show. Right. And so you'll often see this act where it'll be like the classic magic trick, right? Pick a card, any card, mm-hmm. and I'll find your card in some way. Yeah. They'll mm-hmm. often do that trick and put a little twist on it, right? So yeah. so they'll be like... They don't need to come up with something new. They need to come up with something with this interesting twist. Yeah. Yes. And so you'll have a situation where... The audience is going, oh, hey, this is a cool trick. Penn and Teller are probably going, is this this trick or this trick? And then the 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 magician will fool them or, or turn it on them mm-hmm. by saying, you know, like, I know that in this trick you need to swap this deck for another deck. Mm-hmm. And they'll get to that point in the trick and they'll have the the volunteer from the audience check that deck, make sure it's the same one, and then never touch the cards again. Ah. And it'll be like, well, I know that in order to do the standard method, you have to do this switch. Yeah. So did I miss something? How did they do it? And sometimes Penn and Teller can figure it out, and sometimes they don't. But it's that that sort of double double audience yes. that happens there where you're, you've both got this agreement to put on a good show mm-hmm. and this sort of inner agreement of 
I'm not going to waste your time by doing a trick. I know you know how I do it. Yeah. And I'm going to put on a good show for you, but also try and trick you. There's a shared understanding of everyone that there are two things going on and everyone's kind of participating in this and not screwing it up. Like no volunteer on the show grabs a thing from the magician and holds it up to, to Penn and Teller. <laughs> right. Penn and Teller don't like stop a trick in the middle and go, oh, no, I, f- I saw that. Yeah. We're done. And that's that's cool. Like, there's everyone's working together in an interesting way. Plus, you know, stage magic is awesome. Yeah. So today we've been trying to help this poor teacher who's got students that they don't like. And the disruptive behavior ranges from being late to class to bigotry on yeah. some level. And there are a lot of situations that pull in this, how do you behave in line with the community or not in line with the community? How do you navigate those standards? And what do you do when that goes awry? Yep. To what degree you can enforce those standards and put them upon the students. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just making the standards clear and Mm -hmm. getting people to buy in on it. And sometimes it's going to be like, hey, I know you don't like these standards. I know you don't want to behave how I want you to, Mm -hmm. but that's one of your options. Like you either do that or we figure out some way where you're not in my class. Right. And I think any community faces that. Sometimes there's one person in charge. Sometimes it's a consensus thing. But you're going to have to have these crises that you deal with. That is true. I don't think you can always just exclude the people who are... You can sometimes, but I don't know that the correct answer is always kick out. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's worth it to reinforce Mm -hmm. those standards, but you want to avoid it if you can. Yeah. Well, Gregory, thank you for talking to me today. And thank you for talking to me. And thank you all for listening. This has been Audacious Compassion. If you have a question or a prompt for discussion, please submit it to us at averyweir.net. That's A-V-E-R-Y dash W-E-I-R dot net. You can find the show on Twitter and Facebook at Audacious Cast. And we'd greatly appreciate likes and follows. Please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. Your sharing is the best way for us to expand our audience. I'm Melissa Avery Weir, and I can be found on Mastodon at Melissa Avery Weir at mastodon.social. And I'm Gregory Avery Weir, and I can be found on Twitter at Gregory Weir, and on Mastodon at Gregory Avery Weir at mastodon.social. And together, we run a video game studio called Future Proof Games, which you can visit at futureproofgames.com. Our theme music is Invisible Light by Josh Woodward, available under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. Talk to you later. Mm